check. There we go. Uh, just as you're singing that song, we trust you, we trust you. I'm just thinking about one of our very basic discipleship verses, one of the very first ones. Most of you learned Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Uh, you know, that trust, there, there's a basic element. Yeah. You're not going to spiritual growth without trust. That's right. Kick us off, Dave. <laughs> um, let's do a little recap. Uh, we've been in our discipleship series so far. This is the fourth week. Gosh, it's, yeah, I don't I even so. know what the number is. I think Four it's the five. fourth week, yeah. Um, but we've identified so far that Cornerstone is a little bit unique in that we're a disciple-making church. Um, most churches will say that they make disciples, but they really don't have from an upper level all the way down to the individual person a process, a reproducible system by which people can make disciples. And that's one of the things that distinguishes us apart from what maybe another church would look like. And not to dog on any other church or to say that anybody else is just getting it wrong. Just differences. Just this is what yeah. makes us different. So um, what that means to be a disciple-making church is that we direct our focus, our materials, any system and process we put in place is all going towards the effort of equipping you guys, all of us, to be disciple-makers. And so we've arrived at that. You've told us from the first sermon on. We've arrived at that through lots of study, through, um, through some experiences overseas. Uh, you bought a stack of books that are you know, as tall as me uh, to go through. We've done a bunch of those things to try and ascertain and, and try to develop what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And so after arriving there, we, we've realized that the church's job isn't just to do more of the same thing. We don't want to do more of the same thing over and over again. It's not about a calendar filled with events. You That's know, right. In June, we do junior camp. In July, we do senior camp. In August, we do VBS. Right. In September, we do a women's conference. It's not about that. that, and, and that we, that's not, we do that. <laughs> But that's not our emphasis. Correct. That's not all. It's not what do. makes me a good tr- Christian is I went that's to youth right. camp and I go to the women's conference right. and I. Well, this is I, even I, a big shift that happened for us was any time that there was, let's say, a peripheral ministry or event right. that would come up, we would filter it through the lens of discipleship. So it does doing this camp further Christ's mission to the church of making disciples. And if it was a yes, then we continue it. And if it was a no, then... That's See the way you later. We, that's, the way we run <laughs> our, that's the way we run our church budget, too. That's right. And all our finance people and our, our elders... Uh, and in past, our deacons understood this, and they were champions of this. Yeah. And they championed, put money in things that make disciples. Don't put God's money in things that don't make disciples. Right. We're not here to entertain. We're not here to, we're here to make disciples. And your money speaks very loudly. How you, your checkbook right. says a lot about you, how yeah. you spend your money. Well, and because that's our emphasis and that's our focus here at the church, we, we really do believe that every member's goal, every, everything that they should be doing is to grow to become more like Christ, not just attend events, not just attend services or whatever. That's important, but that's not the only thing. We want everybody to grow to become more like Christ. So then our community's goal becomes uh, all about facilitating growth for one another. And so let me trade it off to you. Can you tell us why the pastoral staff, you just mentioned it, the elders, the, the deacons, why is it that the leaders of the church see that as their primary function? I think a big shift happened in our thinking, first of all, uh, more than 10 years ago, when we, and I'll just use you know, the, the senior level pastoral staff, began to understand that maybe we were, we were taught just a little wrong. We, we, it was never said this way, but it was implied that the pastors, the pastors are supposed to be the best Christians in the room. I put it, it, it it's easier to communicate for me in a sports analogy since we're going to watch some awesome football today. Uh, let, let's just think sports. Americans know how to think sports very well. We're, we're a team 
it's, it's not your job to be Tom Brady. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's not exactly a sports uh, uh, guy. Uh, I'll, I'll bring the snacks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, 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 you know, it's, it's not your job to be the, the star wide receiver. It's not our job to be the best players on the field. Listen, that was an epiphany to us because we were taught and we were, it was pounded into our heads through seminaries and Bible colleges and, and everything that was modeled for us from the previous generation that it was expected we would be the superstar Christians among this family of Christians right here. And you guys would look to us to get the ball over the goal line. You would look to us to score. You would look to us to make the clutch play. You would look to us. Uh, and then it went so far that now people begin to think, well, the pastor makes disciples. The pastor leads people to Christ for all of us. So then it was communicated to you in your past church life, bring your lost friends to church, and the pastor will lead them to Christ and preach an awesome sermon. That's a very broken model that's nowhere in the Bible, by the way. Mm. Nowhere in the Bible. That's not the way evangelism works. That's, it's just, that's a very... Now, I'm not saying we don't give people an opportunity to be saved in the service. Yeah, and, and not to say that it's been unfruitful in the past. No, but, but it's not the, the model that Christ It's not designed. a great model because it begins to shift everybody's thinking that these people are on the field playing the game of Christianity, of, of disciple-making, whatever you call it, and we are the spectators in the stands. I remember mom going to a big women's conference back about two decades ago, thousands of Southern Baptist women, and they, went, they, they said, everybody pull out a piece of paper, and, and you're, you're, you're at a sporting event, and there are the cheerleaders, and there's the quarterback, and there's the defense, and there's the coaches, and there's, they described a whole setting, and they said, now write down on the card where you see yourself in the process. 99% of the women in the room said, I'm in the stands. There is the problem right there with the contemporary church. Everyone's in the stands, and now everyone's in the stands so much that we can't field 11 people onto the, t- onto the, onto the field. So, so I say, oh, let's say this. A big shift happened in our thinking, and, and we begin to understand uh, a better analogy is that we are the coaches, in this unique model, though, we don't just coach, we play also, but we're the coaches. And the role of a coach is to develop talent. This is what the great programs do, basketball, football, etc., at the college level. At the high school level, they develop talent, hand it off to the college level, develop talent, hand it off to the pros if you're that good. And then the pros, people like, I'm trying to think of a good, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, love them or hate them. That guy can take people you've never heard of and turn them into superstars. He has a knack. He's built a career on being able to do that. Some obscure 27th round draft pick you've never heard of from, you know, lower Wisconsin <laughs> University. I mean, you know, you're just like, who is this guy? He'll take him to the Super Bowl. And that's Bill Belichick's aura now. It's, it's what he's known for. One of the things that happened in our hearts is we began to understand Our role, pastoral role, is the role of coaching. Now, we also play the game, but as coaches, our job is to develop talent. A good coach can take someone, see potential in them, and develop talent and get them to be better than they are right now. Life change, transformation, more like Christ in our context. Good coach gets players in the game. 
Uh, I mean, a good coach wouldn't take Tom Brady here (laughs) and put him on the sidelines carrying water for the rest of the team. You'd get him in the right role where he can help the team achieve more than it ever could. And so when you come to Cornerstone and you hear these people are driving me crazy with discipleship, 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 we're trying to develop you mm-hmm. to be the very best version of you you can be for Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't want to get you too under conviction, maybe just a little under conviction this morning, but I think all of you would admit you have more potential than you're living up to right now. I think all of you could admit in the last year, uh, choose my word so tactfully, maybe I shouldn't even work, maybe we got a little lazy. Uh, certainly we developed some bad habits maybe. I can say this as I said about Susan and myself, we've been so ostracized, confined, away from people and we live a very public life, interacting with people constantly and a lot of that's been pulled way back. So that now we find ourselves having difficulty. Sometimes having conversations with people where that was just, gosh, second nature to us. So I'm just saying our job as the pastors of the church is to develop talent, have an eye for talent, help people reach their potential, get them in the game. We have never seen in America, and at least come to modern history, in the last 20 years we've never seen a church where the majority of the congregation were on the field making disciples. Now, you and I run in these circles every week where we're talking to the biggest churches in America about their disciple making, and they'll say, well, we have you know, 10 people, we have 20 people, we have 5%, we have a few people that make disciples. Right now, Cornerstone Baptist Church of Fort Worth, humble little us, have more parent-level disciple-makers per capita than any church in America. Right now. And yet we still aren't reproducing as we should. Okay? And that's, that's what we're talking about this morning. But our job is to get everybody on the field, everybody living up to their full potential for Jesus Christ. Now, when you, when you look to your pastoral staff, we want every covenant member to be in the discipleship process somewhere. So now if you're not a covenant member, you get regular phone calls from your deacons, regular text message from your deacons. We have a wonderful group of 137 deacons. I don't even know how many we have anymore. There's so many, but uh, we have how many? 17. There's our head deacon speaking up. 17. Thank you, Chris. 18. 18. 18. Matt's not a strong suit. He's a loving guy, though. Uh, If you want to know how to be a covenant member, we don't talk tons about that, but a covenant member just means you're a committed member. That's all it means. Uh, It's it's the difference in living together and getting married. That's the difference. We know you love us. We know you're here every week. At some point, let's go get the marriage license signed and make it official, okay? That's what being a covenant member means. It just means you sign the covenant, say, I'm all in, committed to the people and the team at Cornerstone Baptist Church. I'm one of the covenant members. The easiest way for me to tell you how to be a covenant member is when one of those deacons calls you or texts well, you. Well, the, the deacons call the covenant members. 
They don't call the non-covenant members. I mean, it's like a perk, right? Letty, Jared, you're the whole church. Raise your hand. If you want to be a covenant member, see her. Good night. The whole church hinges on Letty, Jared. Gosh, the coach has got to fix some things around here. Uh, If you want to take the next step, see Christianity Head Deacon right there. See Letty. See anybody. Say, I want to be a covenant member. And they'll talk you through that, that process of just understanding what the church is about and, and being, being committed to it. We want every covenant member, for sure, mm-hmm. to be somewhere in the discipleship process. Yep. You're either a disciple, you're a disciple maker. Uh, if I use the word grandparent, uh, from a disciple-making point of view, who, has, who in the room is a grandparent from a disciple-making point of view? Yeah, I see some hands around. Sure. Got multi-generations. You've discipled people who've discipled people. And some of you have people who've discipled yet another generation or two. So we want you to be somewhere in that process. We have structured things here at Cornerstone, again, very uniquely. And this is why, even though we're not, you know, 30,000-member church, why churches call us all the time and say, give us your constitution and bylaws. Tell us how you structure your deacons and elders. We want to learn from your model at Cornerstone Again, I don't want to choose my words carefully, so y'all just let me be free. We've made it virtually impossible for you to hold a position of deacon, elder, leader in this church if you don't make disciples. We've tried to make it virtually impossible. Do you understand why we have? If disciple-making is the mission of the church, do you want the financial committee telling you how to spend your money that you've given to the mission of Christ if they don't make disciples? I don't think so. Do do you want people leading who don't get it, don't get the real mission of the church? So we've structured things in a way where we want all of our leaders leading in that robust, intentional investment in people way. And and if you're in the discipleship process, it'll be evident. It'll be evident by the spiritual fruit in your life. And you've you've talked a lot about this, and you call them spiritual disciplines sometimes. Discipline's kind of a scary word for us. habits. Habits is a better word. Spiritual habits. So let's talk about if you're in the process, there will be some spiritual yeah. habits that will be obvious in your life, like Bible reading, daily prayer, um, investment mem- in this community. You're, you're memorizing scripture. Memorizing you're scripture. making intentional relationships right. with people. Um, yeah. You understand the process. You understand what it means. Yeah. Discipleship is not attending Sunday school. That's right. It's not attending church. It's something different. Mm-hmm. And you understand that differentiation because you've been through some process or you're engaged in, in some process. So all I want to say is we're not asking you to do something that the leaders don't do. When we say we're going to direct you to the process, we want every member to be in the process, you need to know in your heart that every leader is fully invested in that process. They are making disciples. They're active. They're engaged. And that's why they're leaders. They can't lead us to a place they've never been. No more than you can lead someone to a place you've never been. So... Uh, your leaders are very imperfect people. I mean, we're very flawed, normal people. But we do understand discipleship. Someone has discipled us. And uh, I guess it's evidenced even further in, in life transformation. Uh, you know, you talked a few weeks ago about head, heart, hands. Mm-hmm. They make a head decision, a heart decision, and a, and a hand. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You even had another way you articulated this as... Yeah, be, be, with, be with Jesus. Uh, become like him and do what he did. Do what he did. And yeah. so we understand being with Jesus and, and we understand you know, that we need to be tra- changed to be like Jesus. 
And I think the part we miss a lot is that last part. Yeah. Now we need to do yeah. what Jesus did. And as I said last week, and I saw it posted on Facebook a million times this week, we agree with the teachings of Jesus. We just divorced ourselves from his method. His message we're good with. Love your neighbor, do unto others. We embrace the message of Jesus while at the same time divorcing ourselves from the method of Jesus. And then we look around and say, why, why is there no spiritual fruit? Why is there no reproduction? Right. Because we've left off, left off the method. So let me, let me hand it to Jeremy for a minute because we want to really hear from him as the discipleship pastor. I mean, this is your... I think because this is such a public thing here, yeah. leading the worship, um, I don't want to rank them one and two, but uh, you spend more of your week as the discipleship pastor than the worship pastor. Yeah. And, and you wear two different hats. And many years ago, we handed uh, uh, the primary responsibility of the discipleship ministry off to you, not to say David doesn't make disciples and I don't make disciples and and Alan as an elder, and Tommy as an yep. elder, and J.D. as an elder, and Michael Gibbs as an elder, and Susan as an elder. We all make disciples. But Jeremy has the lead role in overseeing the whole process. And I, I want to let him in just a minute speak to what you're looking for in people who are in the process and uh, uh, say to those who are, who are leading, thank you for being consistently leading, leading the charge on this. Um, and it's not that it's not like David's not doing discipleship, but David knows his disciples, and he knows his disciples' disciples by name and by sight. But he may not know my disciples or Susan's or your disciples. Does that make sense? Here's the big difference: Jeremy knows everybody's disciples because he sees the big org chart and the big picture. It is his week. It is what he prays over. It's what he asks God to guide him. It's, it's what he's constantly working at. And so really, if you have discipleship questions about anything, he's the man. Uh, uh, whether it's the curriculum. Uh, this morning, somebody's like, Pastor, I need books. Where the, I have no idea where the books are. You're going to have to come ask Jeremy, you know. And uh, just a million, you know, we were just talking about, we're gonna, as we get in our discipleship groups, start memorizing scripture this year. Which version are we going to use? CSB or NIV? David and I were just discussing that this morning. I don't know. Maybe we should ask the discipleship pastor. Uh, I'll answer that. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is the man. And, and I, I will see some of his creations in just a minute. But tell us what you're looking for. Yeah, so when we're looking for a successful disciple, so this is someone who is going to be engaged in the process to the, to the fullest extent, uh, we're looking for something called fast. This used to be fat. But uh, we, we made it a little bit less offensive. So, uh, so we're looking for fast people. Um, and, and this is going to make sense from an acronym standpoint here in a, in a minute. Um, but ultimately, if you're looking to be engaged in a discipleship relationship and you want to be successful in that, then you have to be these four things. The first is faithful. So faithfulness means that you're dedicated to the process of discipleship. It means that I'm going to commit myself to being faithful, to meeting with my disciple maker, to you know, allowing them to speak into my life. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to the process. and I'm not going to drop out when things get hard. 
I'm not going to um, give half effort and not be engaged in, in the work that's involved in spiritual maturation, but instead I'm going to be faithful to the process. Um, and this doesn't, this isn't to try to make, you know, if David was discipling me, it's not a matter of me trying to make David happy. It's a matter of ultimately trying to be more and more like Christ, right? And Christ is a wonderful and perfect picture of faithfulness. So when we're aligning ourselves to look more like him, we're ultimately aligning ourselves to look more faithful. So if you're wanting to be a successful disciple, or if you're wondering why maybe you've had unsuccessful disciples in the past, perhaps you or your disciples weren't faithful to the process. Um, in, in Luke, do you want to talk a little bit about Luke? Yeah, so where we identify some of these earmarks that we're about to talk about in fast. Uh, the first one being faithful. We find in Luke chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be uh, good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Now, this is kind of couched in a parable that Jesus is, is all, delivering. There's a dozen parables that use that language. That's how Jesus teaches. He, he doesn't come out and give you lecture style. He, he gives you stories so you can understand kind of the, the depth of the point he's trying to make. And so within the story, he's talking about um, a, a manager, the, the person that you'd want, the person that you'd want in charge is the person who is a faithful and wise person who takes care of business while the master is away. And so, and, and we almost had a hard time finding this word, faithful... <laughs> it's, it's hidden in all the parables. Outside who is, of... Who is a faithful steward. That's right. He that's faithful in little shall be given much. That's right. It's woven into the teaching of Jesus yes. over and over in these stories. Almost like it's just a given. Yes. And, and not something that you know we have to call out. It's like, well, obviously... Well, duh. Obviously yeah. a faithful yeah. person. There's not a verse that says, be a faithful disciple. If you want to learn algebra, you've got to show up at class. It's, it's common sense. Yeah. You missed three classes. Guess what? You're so far behind the rest of the class. Right. You'll have to have outside tutelage to catch back up with the, where they are. That never happened to me. What a great word, right? <laughs> right? You guys thought it too. It wasn't just me. Tutelage? Tutelage, yeah. You guys are so junior high boys. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the English language. Just deal with it. I understand. Okay. So faithfulness is obviously... Three syllables. It's too much for some. <laughs> it's tutelage too much. Okay. Um, anyway, faithfulness is obviously integral yep. and important to success. Um, and if there's ever been a moment, again, where maybe you felt like you didn't get enough out of the process or you didn't feel like your person was getting anything out of discipleship, there's a really hard question to ask of whether or not faithfulness was occurring. Second thing would be uh, available. So this is just a very practical, are, are you there? Are you showing up for this? Are you actually available to be discipled? Um, you know, we, we talk about examples of people that we know who, who are wonderful, wonderful people in the faith, incredible, uh, spiritually mature people who, for whatever reason and whatever season of life they're in, are just not available for discipleship. doesn't change how great or spiritually mature or loved they are. They're incredibly valuable people, but they're not available to the discipleship process. Yep. And I think sometimes, again, when we look at the people that have made successful discipleship relationships and people who maybe were less successful, I think availability is a huge factor in the success of it. Is, were you people available? Did they cancel on you every single time? Did they, you know, were, were they available to the process? Um, what happens is, if you're not there, then ultimately your growth is being stunted. And uh, you're not allowing yourself to take the steps forward. Instead, you're just stalling. And um, that, that's what a lack of availability looks like. And yep. we see this even, you talked about this, was it last week? When you're talking about how, how we want to be um, 
how we want to be with our rabbi, right? How we want to follow them, how we want to be there in order to get as much from them as we can, just glean everything from our leader as we can. You can't do that if you're not available to it. That's right. Mark 13, or sorry, Mark 3.13, which is the verse that we brought up at that point. It says, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called uh, to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And I think that's the whole point, is you have to be with your people in order to disciple or be discipled. You just have to be there. Yep. Faithfulness, availability. The next one, this is the new one. And actually, when you see it, it, uh, all, it feels really. very obvious. Yeah. Um, but you have to be spirit-filled. If you want to be a disciple in this process, if you want to be a disciple ultimately of Christ, then you need to be filled with his spirit. Um, a lot of times, what, what we try to do is we try to disciple people who have no relationship with Christ. And we get so frustrated because it's not happening. Um, well, ultimately, it's not happening because they're, they're not spirit-filled people yet, right? What you're doing up until that point is you're evangelizing them. You're spreading the good news and gospel of Jesus Christ, which is an absolutely crucial and necessary part of the process. Um, but discipleship isn't happening until they become spirit-filled well, people. It is the spirit yeah. that transforms. Right. That is the big thing. Well, he and, he and, is the change agent inside. And it is that transformation of the spirit that allows you to grow in maturity. So it's not just a matter of being spirit-filled you know, at one time. It's that you have to be continuously moved and developed by the spirit filling your life. right? And if you're, if you're shut down to the moving of the Holy Spirit, if you internally have said, you know, I am better than the Holy Spirit's guidance, then you're not going to be a successful disciple. On the other hand, you will be incredibly successful as a disciple if you remain in tune with what the Spirit wants for you, That's if right. you remain Spirit-filled. That's right. We it's, see this a lot in Acts, right? That's right. Well, so in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's kind of a reiteration of uh, Matthew chapter 28, which is our... Uh, 2018 through 21, which is kind of our slogan, which is to go and make disciples. Luke is restating it here in Acts chapter 1, 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Without the Spirit's leading, without the Spirit's empowering, we go nowhere. Nothing's going to happen. Nope. Right. No transformation. Nope. We're just going through motions. Because it's not, a, it's not outward behavior modification that Jesus is after. He's after an inward heart word inward heart transformation. transformation there we go well yeah because in, you know otherwise discipleship if you remove the spirit element of discipleship then it's just you know any other how-to guide that's right. right and we're, we're looking for so much more than that we're looking right. for transformation of the heart um, which then takes us to teachability which would be the T in our fast um, teach that's a big deal that's uh, yeah. It's probably one of the, the hardest things for us to go over because it takes a, a big moment of humility mm-hmm. to be able to say, I'm going to subject myself to the guidance and sometimes hard leadership of our um, disciple makers. Sometimes we have to hear our disciple makers say, you know, hey, you're not growing in the faith because you're not in the word. Hmm. Sometimes we have to hear things like, hey, you want to be you know, further along in spiritual maturity, but you're not there because you're not a faithful person. You haven't memorized one single verse in yeah. our process. You right. want to be blessed by God, but you don't trust God with, with the giving of your right. offering or your tithe. And so what, I, so what ends up happening super often is people get really frustrated, you know, in, in the moment of correction because they're not being teachable in that moment. Um, if you want to be successful in the discipleship process, you have to remain teachable. That's hard for us. It's so hard. And I want to say it's, it's really hard for somebody who's been in church all their life. Yeah. To then submit themselves to a non-pastor, a congregant, who's a spiritual man or woman, 
and submit themselves to that accountability, yeah. that's, that's very hard. Well, and I think that's a big issue is that so many of us have, have gained so much biblical, biblical insight and knowledge, and we know the word. And we know all the answers. And so we go through a book of curriculum. We're like, man, I, this is nothing. Like, I've, I've got this. I can fill out the answers in my sleep. I don't have to practice. I don't have to study. I don't do any of these things. Because I know all the answers. But we're not allowing ourselves to be teachable to the process. Yeah. Um, and and what, what really we're, we're being indicative of is that, you know, ultimately our heart is not humbling ourselves right. to the teachability of, of another. Yeah, and, and being teachable assumes a certain posture. It assumes a posture that I can learn and will learn as, as the Spirit, again, changes me as I conform to what he's all about. And so uh, we, we've identified a couple of verses that kind of go in line with what it means to be teachable. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. And you just kind of mentioned that a moment ago. Um, if you can't gain correction, if you can't hear correction, there's a problem there. There's definitely a problem. And again, in Philippians chapter 2, you talked about that, again, that posture of humility. That's exactly what uh, Paul is identifying, how we're supposed to be like Christ. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8, in your, uh, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Well, Jesus says over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear. Right. It's not just about having the ears, it's about using them. Right, um, And being t- teachable is making the decision to allow myself to take the information and then be yeah. changed by it and making an active decision now. So we want fast people, and we want people to be in discipleship that check all these boxes. And you know, obviously not all of us are going to check, check them 100% of the time, but are we at least in that lane? It's a little bit like the stock market again. Spiritual growth is like, yeah, it's, you know, but over time it trends up. Right. It's not just, there it is, I'm like Christ. It's today I'm like Christ. You know, yesterday maybe I wasn't so much, yeah. had some setbacks. You, you, that's, the, that's the reality. But, but if I'm looking at, at this acronym, I'm saying, you know what? I've, for the most part, I'm in the direction of faithfulness. Yeah. I'm in the direction of availability. I, I'm pretty spirit-filled. I think I move you know, in accordance with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm a teachable person. Then we would say to you, then you are absolutely ready to be successful in discipleship. And we want that for you. So we want, we want fast people. And that, that's exactly what it is. But how do we assess that? How do we say, aside from just like internalizing it for yourself, like I think I'm all these things, how, what's the way that we figure out if we are? Well, when, when our church shifted models really and, and understood what discipleship was about, just took ourselves off of that pure evangelistic model and moved to a discipleship model, one of the things we realized is we have to have ways to measure it's another way of saying we have to have assessment tools. Yeah. Uh, we had to take, you talked about some humility, we had to take a hard look at ourselves mm-hmm. and say, you know, we're supposed to be leading and coaching and whatever, right. but now we realize some of our theology is broken, some of the models, but, and so we're going to have to back up a few steps here and let's have enough humility to stand up from the congregation and say, I was wrong, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And, and that sin doesn't get laid to your charge, gets laid to my charge. You followed faithfully, and this is the danger of being a pastor. You have to give an account of every word that you say. And so God and I will square that later. You know what I'm saying? I've asked for forgiveness and tried to make... Tutelage. I, every word. Sorry, continue. <laughs> it's so wonder we get anything done here. 
Anyway, so we had to have some assessment tools. And uh, some uh, uh, parachurch organizations had some assessment tools, mm-hmm. but the churches really didn't have any. We couldn't find a church, sure. uh, a handful, that had some assessment tools. And so we took some things we saw out there, but really we had to make the tools our own. And uh, we developed some assessment tools where, let's just forget them for a minute, just start right here, where you and I could measure where we are. Yeah in the process, and are we faithful, available, spirit-filled, teachable, and where are we in maturation spiritually, and are, mm-hmm. you know, we're spiritually mature, but then where's our disciples that we're making, we're, if we're on a purely evangelistic model, we're leading people to Christ, we're not taking them all the way to reproduction again in the cycle, and so we reassessed ourselves, and we developed some tools to do that with, and probably, we have several tools, but the most important, I think, to our ministry is a tool that Jeremy developed. We'll talk about it in a few more minutes, but spiritual wheel, a spiritual assessment wheel that shows, uh, gives us a, an understanding of what the big picture of Christianity looks like yeah. uh, in a chart. For, we're, we're, we're picture people, and so we, we need a picture. And un- unfortunately, this is not a simple picture. It's a little bit of a detailed, uh, complicated picture to take in. Yeah. And uh, that spiritual wheel, uh, I, I guess what it does is it shows us that the spiritual life is about reproduction. And if I could just put my finger on the problem we have in modern Christianity, let me use the word contemporary church. The, the biggest problem in the contemporary church is the church's unwillingness to reproduce. You are the church. The biggest issue in modern Christianity is the churches, the, the Christians, the, we are not willing to reproduce. We're willing to go to church. We're willing to listen to Christian radio all week. But we're not willing to reproduce another Christian. Now, I only got a couple of answers as to why. One, we're just unwilling. We know what to do and won't do it. Stubbornness. Um, or maybe we've never been taught. Maybe we were taught what being a good Christian looks like is receiving Christ, get baptized, go to church. Go to church. Well, if I want to be more dedicated, what do I do? Come on Sunday night. That's right. What if I want to be more dedicated? Come on Wednesday night. Well, there you go. What if I want to be more dedicated? Uh, oh, gosh, come to the Visitation. men's prayer, okay. men's prayer <laughs> breakfast. Okay. And, and that's what we did. We just kept building more events for you to attend to show your <laughs> spiritual depth, but it didn't have anything to do with spiritual depth. It just had to do with filling your calendar full of stuff. So the biggest crisis, let me make it very personal, that you face is will you be willing to do what Christ is asking you to do? And are you willing to do what he wants you to do? All authority is given me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. Are you willing to go make disciples? You said, I want to be a missionary. That's not what he means. What he means is are you willing... To lead another person from wherever they are to a place where they can reproduce other Christians. And if you say yes to that, now you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now you're a disciple. Now you're making that head, heart, hands type of decision. I will do what Christ wants me to do. And this is really the emphasis of Cornerstone. Our role as your coaches is to do everything we can to get you in the game. You say it another way. Go ahead. Well, well, and, and to your metaphor, we want to take um, the skills that we understand and know and are learning here and, and hand off to the people who are actually playing the game. So we want to make everyone in the room a pastor. And don't be scared of that. Yeah. 
that word. Pastor is literally a word. It means shepherd. Mm-hmm. And leader. A leader. It means some. So let's just talk about what a shepherd does. Shepherd watches over a flock. They're responsible to what? Keep them in, keep them in their line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep, keep the wolves at bay, predators Sorry. away. Feed them. Feed them. So feeding, protection, care. Mm-hmm. So when you think shepherd, that's what you think. You think of a wonderful person who loves these fluffy little sheep and leads them to green pastures and beside still waters and fights the bears and the lions away. You think of David, the shepherd, and, and that's what you think of. That's what God is calling you to be. Every man and woman in this church is called to pastor someone to spiritually take the care of another human being. You know, when you have your, when you have your first child, it dawns on you somewhere there pretty quick where, oh my goodness, uh, I, it's all on me right now. Uh, if, if this child is going to be healthy, it's all on me. If it's going to be protected, it's on me. There's no one to feed this baby. It's on me. And, I, and you, the, the, the weight of that yeah. brings you to a certain maturity. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Having a child brings you to a certain maturity. And having a spiritual child, having someone who's looking to you for protection and care and, and shepherding. And again, we, we let's use, use our children as a, a bit of an example. Our, our job as parents, we all have children, is not to feed them forever Mm -hmm. it's to feed them for a while until they can learn to feed themselves well and that's why we're talking about this wheel so much because the way that maturation occurs physically is is akin similar to the way that people mature spiritually and so that's why this this product that jeremy's come up with i mean it's fantastic it helps us understand where we are in the process and helps us assess where other people are in the the process as well jeremy developed this for our ministry here uh, domestically and also internationally and just just so you know jeremy when you were out of town this week i several phone calls late at night from asia Mm -hmm. and they said we're watching the services we're listening to what y'all are talking about and we are also teaching discipleship sermons in our in our churches right now following you guys and so uh, I just want you to know every week what happens in this room happens all over the world. And so this morning, somebody's looking at this wheel right now on the other side of the world. And uh, I know even as we sit here, I've seen your correspondence over the last week. This wheel's being translated right now into Telugu, Hindi, Nepali. Spanish. It's already in Spanish right now. It just it, every time we make a modification, it goes all over the world. So walk us through the wheel that you developed. Yeah. So this is this is an adaptation of something that many of you have already seen. So it's going to feel familiar, but it is actually pretty intricately different. Uh, we start with a pre. Uh, well, let me first say, um, spiritual growth and maturity oftentimes parallels our physical growth. Right? And so that's kind of what this wheel is about. It's taking very familiar terms of how we grow physically and how we mature physically, and then translating that into a spiritual metaphor, essentially. So we start with pre-birth. The Bible even calls this being dead in your sin to become made alive, right? right. Um, This is where people are exploring and seeking new truths. If you're someone who is in pre-birth, you don't have a relationship with Christ, um, but you're still valuable, you're still on the wheel, you need to be in that relationship, but you're just pre-birth, you haven't gotten there yet. So we go from pre-birth, obviously there's a salvation moment, you're born again, and then we go into infancy. Um, and so infancy, we, we see people who are typically self-centered, 
And I don't mean that to be so, um, you know, derogatory. It's just in, in your spiritual infancy, it's all about how can I gain more information? How can I soak up the community because this is new for me? It's, it's just centered on self because that's all you know in that moment. But these people are learning new truths and they're learning, learning new habits. But they're, they're very young in the faith, not necessarily correlated to the amount of time that they've been a believer. Sure. So it's possible for someone to have been in infancy for quite some time. 50 years? I know some 50-year-old infants. I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, anyway, so infancy, self-centered view. We, we go on from infancy, you grow out of being an infant, and you become a child. This is where you start wanting friends. You start wanting community, and you start wanting to be um, you know, a part of something. A child is starting to be able to do things on their own. They're, you're able to give them some tasks, and they're able to accomplish them. So I couldn't tell my three-year-old son, hey, Jude, uh, read, read God's Word. I can't tell him to do that. He can't. But my six-year-old son, who's a child and not an infant anymore, I could say, hey, here's a, a child Bible, start reading it. And he's able to start taking some ownership for his faith. I wouldn't let him teach a class because he's a child, right? Um, and in a lot of ways, we have spiritual children who are able to um, input and they're able to really receive things, and they're taking what they learned in infancy, and they're turning into now habits that develop into you know, wonderful works, but they're maybe not ready yet to have yeah. more responsibility than that. You probably still need to remind Levi to brush his teeth. Every single day. It's like this is not changing. And that's true of our spiritual lives. Read your Bible. Pray. A, a spiritual parent will still need God. to remind a Listen child to the Holy do these things. Right, exactly. So we go from child then into young adult. A young adult is now displaying godly character. You're able to um, give a young adult responsibility in the faith because they've already now developed the habits of infancy. They've already started turning their knowledge of infancy into habits in childhood, right? They are faithful and consistent in those things. And now they're ready to start leading and taking on a greater amount of responsibility. In real life, this is when people go off to college, right? Um, in, in the physical world, right? I, I'm in college now. I get to make some, some decisions for myself, right? But I would never let a child go off on their own and make their own decisions. It's just irresponsible. A young adult is someone who has proven themselves through both knowledge and action to be ready for the next stage. And then we have a, a pretty nice dividing line between young adult and parent, and that is reproduction, right? The only thing that separates any adult from a parent is that a parent has reproduced. They've created someone new from who they are. Responsible for the lives of another person. Exactly. And so now this is a big shift from what we've seen before on these wheels. Now this parent stage wraps around the others because what we're saying is as a parent, you now turn into a cyclical process where you are forever a parent. Whether you're a good parent or not, you still forever have children after you've reproduced. Um, and so a parent then is making disciples. Those disciples are in pre-birth because ideally... We're going out and spreading the gospel to the people who we're not just adopting. We're creating new disciples, right? So ideally, parents go out and they find unbelievers and show them the gospel, and they, they come to know Christ on their own. So they're intentionally making disciples. They are sharing biblical knowledge with their disciples. So now they've got an infant in the faith. They're sharing all of their knowledge that they've learned with their infant. 
Then we go on to a parent of a child. When you're a parent of a child, now you're demonstrating godly behavior to your kids. You're saying, okay, well, you know these things, but now you need to start following after me. Do what I'm doing. It teaches them how to apply the knowledge that they have. It, it is a very big deal. Yeah. It shouldn't be passed over lightly. We do much better with pictures than with sermons. Yeah. We do much better with a living example. This is why Jesus said to his disciples, come and be with me. He didn't say, let me lecture you about what you need to be after I'm gone. He just said, let's spend time together and what you see in me. Just reproduce that. That's all you have to do. Right. And, and I'll model for you. He's doing it for his children. As a parent, and wants to raise up his children correctly. Yeah, exactly. So then we go from a parent of a child into a parent of a young adult. This is where you're prepping your kids to go to college, right? You're making, this was, dad, the worst thing you ever did was, uh, he's right there, was he started making me call my own doctors. <laughs> which is horrifying. It's genius, it's wonderful. Horrifying. It's wonderful. Even still, it teaches me how to call my own doctor when I'm a grown person, right? Because I'm a young adult, I'm able to do this on my own. Um, as a parent of a young adult, you're equipping your disciples to launch. You're saying, okay, hey, do you see how you're you know, getting to the stage where you know, maybe parenthood is on the horizon for you spiritually? Let's teach you how to be well-equipped to be able to then parent your own children. After a parent has taken someone all the way through this, and remember, the, the reproduction line isn't in the parent side because it's now on the, the role of your children, your spiritual children, to reproduce. So now your children reproduce, and now you are suddenly a grandparent, whether you like it or not. Um, it's not up to you when, when your kids reproduce. So you are now a grandparent. What the grandparents do... <laughs> Stop Spoil that. the kids. Stop that. What they do is they, they assist, they guide, they're advising their family tree. Right? Grandparents are now concerned about legacy. And they want to make sure that what they've promoted to their children is now being permeated in the lives of their grandchildren. Um, you know, the way that we look at our grandparents should be the same way that we look at our spiritual grandparents. So we look to them for guidance. They've already taken some, they've taken my parents through this. Like, they, they know things. And they're able to guide me in a way that maybe I want to be removed from my parents from. Um, so they, they're advising, they're assisting and guiding their family tree. A grandparent also continues to engage in the parenting process. And this is probably uh, one of the bigger deviations of physical versus spiritual is that we still want our grandparents to keep on making babies, mm -hmm. right? Um, and <laughs> so we, we want you to continue to reproduce. And we want you to continue to be a parent, um, both to, to the, the spiritual children that you've reproduced already and also to create new disciples. Our work is not complete. Then we go from that on to the very last point, which is that grandparents are now self-sustaining in spiritual initiative and maturity. And what I mean by this is, as a parent, you need to ask your parents questions. Like, hey, what do I do when my kids do this? A grandparent doesn't really have to ask those questions anymore. Uh, a grandparent doesn't need to be reminded to brush their teeth or to tell their kids to brush their teeth. They just know. Um, a grandparent is self-sustaining, and they don't necessarily need to be poured into in the same way. So when we say we want every man and woman in this church, this is the book of Acts. This is the, listen, read Romans 16 freshly. It is filled with men and women working side by side. And Paul says about Romans 16, this long list of people, thank you, bless her, bless him, take care of these people. These people have risked their lives for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Right. And, and they're working side by side, pouring their lives into other people, traveling all over the Roman Empire, 
pouring themselves into to meeting new people, engaging new relationships. One of the things that when you were talking, it just dawned on me freshly. You, you know, understanding discipleship, being discipled and making disciples also makes you a better biological parent and grandparent. Yeah. Being a good, you're trashing your dad over, here's a wonderful father. <laughs> Listen, adopt me and just disown him, okay? Uh, uh, Mike, you're, you're a great, also puts you on the other foot, you're a great disciple maker because you're also a good father. And you understood that you had to make Jeremy go deposit his own check in the bank, call his own doctor and do things for himself. Otherwise, he would never get out of the nest and full, reach his potential. You had to push him and make him be a kid. To make him do uncomfortable things still bothers him. He, has, he still has issues. <laughs> but you had to push him to get him to reach potential maybe he didn't even want to reach. He's fine to have Carmen call the doctor and make his appointments. But you weren't fine because you knew he wouldn't reach his full potential unless you pushed him because you're good biological parents to him. I'll tell you what, if, you, if you're a young couple in this church, you're like, man, we really wish we had you know, we, training on how to be good parents. Get in a discipleship group. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just the two go right together. And uh, as you mature spiritually, I think you're a better parent. If already you think, well, I'm a decent parent, you'll be a great disciple maker because it's very similar, you know? Yeah. So let's zoom out a little bit. There we go. Okay, so, so this is the wheel now. Um, and this is something that we wanted to show once you're in this discipleship process, it continues, it spirals around, and uh, you're never done with the work you're of the discipleship. You're stuck in the roundabout. You're just stuck Praise in the roundabout. God. But this is a positive now. Um, it, it is important to say... Every stage is equally valuable, so when, when we assess people and when we ask people to assess themselves, if they are in pre-birth and they don't even have a relationship with Christ, we still see them as equally valuable to our grandparents. They're made in the image of God. They're made in the Period. image of They're God. They're a soul for who Jesus died for. And so when you assess yourself, you don't look at it and say, well, I'm, I'm still stuck in infancy. We don't, we don't see that as a negative. We see it as, well, that's just where you're on the wheel, but you're on the wheel. You know, and uh, in the you, you wouldn't say about your infant baby. He's just, just a baby. No, he's just a baby. He's not as valuable as right. my five-year-old. Right. You love them equally. They're of equal value to the family. But it does help encourage us to know that in infancy, we still have a long way to go. We've got a lot to mature, and we, we understand better the steps that need to take when we parallel it to the physical growth cycle. I think you said it really well two seconds ago, so I'll skip just my whole portion here of notes because because I think you said it perfectly. The whole point of this is to become a self-sustaining, self-starting um, uh, disciple who's not waiting on other people's initiative. That's the whole goal. I don't need somebody to tell me to go read my Bible because I've already developed the spiritual habit of reading my Bible, of reading my Bible and that's consistent in my life. And when I slack on that, the, the spirit, because I'm spirit-filled, you know, convicts me and then I get back in the Word and I become... Uh, I get to doing back what I'm supposed to be doing all along because that's the whole point. And, and so this is why we harp on discipleship so much because we don't want it to leave it to chance or in, intuitive understanding. We don't just sort of throw a message at you and then you understand, okay, now this is what I'm supposed to do. We want to give you a message so that then your disciple leaders and the other disciples that are with you can help translate what that means in your life to how you actively move forward because discipleship is the mission of every single follower. And it falls apart if we don't know what to do next. That's right. Right. Yeah. And so 
between this organization, this family, this body of relationships, the assessment tools, uh, you knowing what, where our mindset is as your pastors is we intend to get everyone in the game. We intend for everyone to be a pastor. There's a big shift in, in our understanding even about baptism. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Well, if you made the disciple at Cornerstone, you get to dunk we give you the opportunity to baptize them. They're your disciple. They're following you as you follow Jesus Christ. Every person a pastor. If you don't know what to do next, it falls apart. Right. So what do we do next, Jeremy? COVID gave us a little bit of a flat tire. Sure. We need to air it up and get the <laughs> yeah. car rolling again. Yeah. Got well, and, and this was something, I mean, obviously a lot of us fell out of routine and habit in discipleship through, through the pandemic. And we can just speak openly about that. I think all of us can say that we didn't navigate the discipleship road as successfully as we would have wanted to through the pandemic. But we're at a spot now where you can re-engage. Um, you can always start and you can always get back in the game. And that's what we want from you. And so we're, what we're going to do, I kind of want to break this into two tiers, okay? And I want you guys, first off, just be a little patient with us. So we realize that we need to invest in our leadership. And this is people that are currently discipling. Maybe you have made disciples. Maybe you're currently childless um, or, or whatever. If you have been a parent or you are currently a parent or whatever, we want to take those leaders aside and we want to spend a few weeks re-engaging them to the process. So what this is going to look like is we're going to start meeting Sunday nights with some of these people. And uh, if you're one of those people, you'll get more correspondence about when and where and all that. So don't worry about that. But that's going to take a, a few weeks. And so if you're not currently engaged in discipleship as, as this inner circle of someone who needs to be discipled, if you're not currently there right now, I just need you to be patient with me. Because for a few weeks, we need to get our leaders re-engaged, rejuvenated, and excited about the prospect of parenthood again. Um, so from there, then, what we're really shooting for is around spring break, to be able to shoot out all of our leaders back into the real world and, uh, and start making some spiritual babies. So you're talking about right? a month, month and a half. Right, next. month month and a half. Yeah. Um, just to give us a, a minute to get all of our people recharged and back in the game, and then we're going to have another, one of the, another conversation about how to get connected to those people. Right. So there, there's a question then. So like, what's, what's my place then? Like, where do I go? We, we've got like a, a three-tier system here. And this is actually really important, and it's by design. And I want you to know that this isn't accidental. Because, again, like David said at the very beginning, we only do things if it feeds out of the, the mission of discipleship. So we begin with corporate worship. That's where we are right now. It's absolutely critical and crucial to be engaged with your church family in corporate worship, whether that's here in person or online. I don't want to speak against people that are online because there's extenuating circumstances at the moment. But they're engaged in corporate worship, right? This is kind of a, an infant-level step in that anyone can come to corporate worship. Anyone is available to come and learn new truths, Right? So then we go from corporate worship into our equip modules. These have been on a bit of a halt, a little bit of a pause through the pandemic, and they're about to come back. And when they do, I need you guys to be so active and engaged in them. And the reason why I need you to be engaged in them is because now if corporate worship is kind of an infant-level step, equip modules are a child-level step. Right? We're taking what we've known and what we've learned, and we're starting to put them into practice to deepen our structure and understanding of how to live out the truth of God's Word. So quit modules are really important. They usually happen Wednesday nights. Um, it's not just a little, it's not just a, a class. It's 
purposeful and practical things that we can do to give you um, items in your toolbox to be able to use in your life. Equip modules are incredibly important. Then from there, we have discipleship relationships. This is going to be, well, I, I keep pushing it smaller and smaller. I think the very best and most successful discipleship relationships happen when I'm with David and when I'm with Bobby. That, uh, some of my very most critical moments of spiritual growth happened because we were one-on-one -on -one and he was discipling me, right? And so what, discipleship relationships take the most amount of engagement most amount of faithfulness, availability, spirit-filledness, yeah. and teachability. And so those are our, that's kind of our process, right? We, we want to get all of everyone, kind of like infancy, we want everyone to be in corporate worship. We want most of you guys to be in equip modules as you take what you're learning and start to put it into practice. And then we want all of our people eventually to reach the point where they can be discipled by someone else to then go and disciple others. Because it's not just about making disciples, it's about making disciples who... Make, make disciples who are able to continue to go around the circle and then reach the point of reproduction. Because otherwise, if you don't reproduce, you're just a young adult. Right. There's nothing wrong with being a young adult, but God's called you to more than that. He's called you to be a parent of disciples. So that's kind of what we're, what we're going after. We want you to be engaged really in all three tiers. We have an expectation that all of you are here for corporate worship that most of you are going to be engaged in equipped modules and some of you are going to be involved in discipleship. It's kind of where we're at. We kind of want to turn that, though, to being, instead of a triangle, to be more of a squared where you're engaged equally across the board. So this is what we want from you. I need to train my leaders a little bit. I need to get them re-engaged in the process because this has been a weird year. And we understand that it's been a weird year, and so we want to extend some grace to the weirdness of it. Um, so I need to get my leaders re-engaged and re-established in things. Give me about six weeks to do that. And then we're going to open this up and try to get everyone engaged in the process of discipleship. So from here, how fast should this take? Okay, so th this is the thing, right? Sometimes someone comes in and they're, if, if we're starting at pre-birth, we, on the side screens, can we put up the wheel again? So if we're starting at pre-birth, which is the black section, then obviously it's going to take more time to get around this wheel. That could be a couple of years. It could be a couple of years. And that's quite a, a commitment that we're asking our leaders to take with someone. And that really, that's not that long in the big scheme of things. It's not, but I mean, it's, but, but it's a commitment. But most people don't come to us as pre-birth. No, I, I was, we were talking about this week, and I was thinking about... Go ahead. I was thinking about Apollos, right? Apollos comes to... Uh, well, so he's a, a very gifted... Well, I'll just read he's it. a speaker. Oh. He's a pastor. He is, yeah. It says in Acts chapter 18, At that time, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was an educated man from Alexandria, and he knew the scriptures very well. So start to assess him now. Right? We're thinking about our wheel. He's coming to them very knowledgeable. He knows his scriptures. Apollos had been taught the way of the Lord. So again, now think about where he is on this wheel. Yep. Because he clearly has a parent. He had been taught the way of the Lord. He spoke with great power. Okay, so now he's starting to do some ministry. He's probably more like a, a young adult, right? Um, but he only knew about John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and here's the moment of discipleship. Priscilla and Aquila heard him, so they invited him into their home, and there they gave him a better understanding of the way of the Lord. So Apollos comes to Ephesus as a pretty knowledgeable young adult. Thinking he's fully mature. Thinking he's fully mature. I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher. Yeah, so he, he thinks he's, you know, and not, not to be haughty or anything, it's just, you know, is the matter of it. Priscilla and Aquila see him say, you still have more, more room to grow. 
And so he comes to them as a young adult, and they disciple him to the point of parenthood, and then he goes and becomes the pastor of the church in Corinth. Right? So Apollos is a wonderful example of getting of adopting someone who's already eighteen years old. Right. Right? And just needs a little kick to be able to go. And so sometimes in that case then, discipleship doesn't you know, getting them from the process of where they are to being able to reproduce is not, you know, that but lengthy. What, what you're speaking to right now is the majority of your context. Right. You came to us with Bible knowledge. You came to Cornerstone with some church history, some relationship with Christ, some Bible knowledge, maybe even some years and maybe decades of walking with Christ. The process in your context, first of all, let me say this, the leaders know. The leaders here are trained. The disciple makers are trained that if they connect with you, and you are this person who is already identified as a follower of Christ, you've got some maturity, you've got Bible knowledge, they know how to flex the process for you, okay? So that it's not a two-year process. It's probably a year process, maybe less than a year process. Because for you, it's not about learning who Jesus is Mm -hmm. and what the Holy Spirit, who He is, and how He works in our life. It's not about that. For you, it's about understanding the process of making a disciple. You've been taught about God, just nobody showed you how to make a disciple. And so we ask people that you're describing right now, the Pauluses of the world, mighty in word and deed, who come in here, be patient to walk through the process so that you understand the process. And when then you're launched out, you have this great Bible knowledge. Somebody's modeled the process for you. So can, can you talk about what the process is then? As we kind of wrap it up, what, what is this process? Uh, well, as you said, the leaders re-engaging, first of all, about a month, month and a half from now, uh, connecting with a disciple maker. Uh, let's just talk this out. We have about negative one minutes left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do I connect with a disciple maker, I think, is the biggest issue in the room right now. Yeah, and I think this is probably our greatest challenge as far as our individual context, is what we accidentally did was we trained you guys to expect that we're going to do all the matchmaking. Matchmaker, matchmaker, and we, find me a match. Find me a fine. This is the song we're closing on in just a minute. It's filler on the roof. Now, yeah. you expect Yenta to find you a match. Okay, and really for a decade we've been making matches. Many, many happy mar- uh, matches have happened here, and some blew up and fell apart. Yeah, because we artificially created them. Right. So, so what we're asking now is instead, when you're looking at corporate worship, when you're looking at equip modules, we want you to be engaged in relational investments the whole time, regardless of where you're at. You need to be meeting people, and you need to be asking them to come over for for taco night. Tacos. And Everyone need, loves tacos. You need to, seriously though, and you need, you need to invite them over for a movie. And you need to uh, ask them about their kids. And I'm not talking just the, the parents in the room. I'm saying anyone. If you're here, then what needs to set our culture apart is that we are relationally invested in one another. This is what Jesus did. He constantly, as the leader, created a relational environment. What we're doing right now... Uh, there's no accountability. Right. Attending church on Sunday, the only accountability is did we see each other here? Sure. The, 
there's no real accountability for spiritual growth in this context. I mean, like a seventh grade history class has more accountability. <laughs> Seriously, because you come tomorrow and, and, and the teacher says, did you do your homework? There's accountability. Did you, did you fill out the worksheet? Are you ready for the pop quiz? Are you prepared for today? In a common church context, there is no accountability for any, Nobody's going to ask us, good morning, welcome to church. You got your memory verse ready. Or did you, did you, did you read your Bible? That, that doesn't happen. Accountability happens in this context, a relational, small group environment where we trust someone. Where, where we're, so it all hinges on a relationship. Right. That's so we're asking, so really, that's what we're asking you to do first. Before anything else happens, Build relationships. start engaging with people in a way that you are expecting. You're type A, that doesn't scare you. This scares some people for you to say this. I'm sorry to scare you. <laughs> yeah. So what's your advice to the people who are like, I'm, I'm, I don't make friends easily. I, I'm terrified when you say, look, here's hundreds of people. Go, just start, just reach out to the nearest person and say, let's go eat a taco. Yeah. Is it that easy? I would say find someone yeah. to invest in relationally. I'm not talking about discipling them. I'm just talking about find someone that you know that they grew up in New York City and came here when they were 45 years old. Where is he at? Uh, anyway, you, you, you should. You, I, I just want you to meet someone and be engaged with someone, so that then when you say, you know, I'm a young adult, but I'm ready to be a parent, I can say, well, who are you relationally invested in, and you can have an answer. See, here's the advantage the first century church had: they met in someone's living room, and there was only about 20 or 30 of them. Yep. Wasn't a mega church nowhere in the Bible, really. They, they, and everybody. Uh, yeah, I saw you down at the butcher's last week. Or, yeah, my kid is in the same class. They had connections in community because it was small. Which, honestly, is the reason why we started Equip Modules. So you can was they people. give a smaller setting, a D- mid-sized date, dating, group. Date club, speed dating. That should be a, a module. Do speed we need dating. that? Let's do that. Listen, so I know some of you are bashful, though. I, I get that. And I'm not insensitive to that, even though I'm type A. I get that not everyone talks to people easily. This is part of your spiritual maturation. You have to learn to talk to people. I'm going to, Kristen is one of our disciples, wonderful disciple and disciple maker. Kristen is incredibly bashful. Kristen, Kristen, let me, I'll just speak to you in front of the whole church. You'll never be all that God wants you to be unless you can talk to people. God wants you to love somebody. Now, you don't have to be Apollos. You don't have to be David. You don't have to be an orator. But you are going to have to talk to another human being. If you're going to, it, how are you going to make disciples without engaging? I mean, the obviousness of this. The future of Christianity hinges on the willingness and ability of God's people to reproduce another generation of Christians. I, I am sometimes come across as critical of the previous generation who gave us this model. I love them. They gave us the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to come across as critical or cynical towards the previous generation. I love my spiritual ancestors who got us to this point. But let's not stop right here. Let's fix what we know is broken. Let's correct the model. And let's move forward as a church. The mission is making disciples. We're going to come together and worship. We're not going to stop that. We're going to have awesome worship here. We're going to have awesome, hopefully awesome preaching uh, here. You're going to come and be motivated by the messages. But the biggest thing happening at Cornerstone Baptist Church is you listening to the words of Jesus. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, take up your cross 
Count the cost, we often say, and follow me. And again, I use my gym analogy. Susan and I have decided we are going to. That means money, it means time, it means scheduling, it means faithful, available. I don't have to be spirit-filled to go to the gym, but uh, you know what I'm saying? I have to, I have to, I have to make a commitment. And that's what being Christ's disciple. This is why he constantly looked at them and said, are you going to leave me? Yeah. Where else would we go? Where else would we go? Who else has the words of life? Yeah. And he kept asking questions like that because the further they got around the wheel, the more he expected the commitment yeah, level to rise. Be more committed as you are spiritually mature. Every church in America since the pandemic is running at 40% attendance. We've been meeting with them. We've been talking to pastors all over America of every denomination. If you ran 1,000 this time last year, you now run 400, 450. This is the context all over the world, but specifically in America right now. This is us. And then there's a section of us watching online right now. This is the body of Christ at Cornerstone in this room and those handful watching online right now. We go from right here with our hearts on fire to make a new generation of disciples for Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room will reproduce another Christian in the next two years. That's always been the model. Nothing has changed. It's just time to recommit and engage. That's how simple it is. I think we should end right there. Time's done. Listen, we love you guys because we know you are all in. Never seen a church, and we've coached a bunch, where there's so many people who are like, let's do it for Jesus Christ. I'm ready to make a disciple. And think about what the possibilities are. I know the people that I've discipled have become lifelong relationships for me. It's nothing, nothing but wonderful comes out of the discipleship process. Let's bow together. As we bow, I want you to be thinking about that wheel you saw and really in your heart you've already assessed yourself this morning even as Jeremy was talking through the wheel. As you're thinking about that wheel and about where you are in the process, you may have, may have a, occurred to you this morning that you've never really formally entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's your context, then that's really your next step. Just receiving Christ as your Savior, calling Him the Lord of your life, and seeking forgiveness and and a new start, a new relationship with Christ, and beginning the discipleship process. Receiving Christ is not done by a class. It's done by putting your faith and trust fully in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as your Savior. If you've never done that, I'm going to lead in the prayer to do that. While I'm leading that prayer, I want every Christian in the room who's already a follower of Christ to be thinking about where you are. I know you have incredible potential. I want you to be praying, God, show me who I need to disciple. Show me how to re-engage in the process. God, help me fulfill your great mission for me, for my life, being a parent and a grandparent spiritually If you've never received Christ, I want you to just consider in this moment that it's one thing to receive him as your Savior and find forgiveness. 
The second part of that is you have to make him the king and lord of your life. You're surrounded by Christians who've received him as savior and even now they're re-surrendering their lives to his mission and to his will and saying to the Lord, yes, I will make disciples. I will do what you've asked me to do. We collectively as a family here at Cornerstone will will be on your mission. If you've never prayed and received him as Savior, I want you to pray something like this. Just follow my lead. Say, dear God, I I confess to you that I am a sinner and I desperately need a Savior. I know I can't save myself. And I need forgiveness and cleansing from my sins. And Jesus, I know that you died on the cross in my place to pay for my sin and to accomplish my forgiveness. So this morning, the best way that I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me and cleanse me as I receive you into my heart and my life as my Savior. And even more than that, as my Lord and as my King, I will follow you. And I will be your disciple. I will be faithful and available and spirit-filled and teachable. I want to be all that you saved me to be. Help me to bear fruit for your kingdom. This is my prayer in Jesus' name.